um, at the beginning of this year, uh, we've started this new series called Tough Prayers, uh, talking about our relationship with God and how to grow in that relationship because sometimes we get stuck. We opened up this series with Pastor Stephen from the Grace Church Bridgewater uh, talking about what prayer is and that this is our, our, the way that we develop our relationship with God through his word and, and through prayer and uh, through the role that the Holy God's Spirit in our heart plays in pointing out things in our life that shouldn't be there. And then, then, I, then, then I, the next week, started saying, now, these are the prayers that actually accelerate your spiritual growth. And they're, they're not prayers that you memorize. They're, they're the kind of prayers, honestly, that you couldn't pray and mean unless God had already been doing something in your heart before you prayed it. Uh, there are some prayers that are easy that almost anybody can pray. Like, I, like even non-religious people will pray for people to like not have cancer anymore. Like that, not that cancer is an easy thing, but I'm saying there are, there are prayers that are easy that don't take much from me to pray. God, heal people I love. God, change my wife. God, right? And none of us have ever prayed that at all. But the prayer I don't want to pray is, God, change me. I don't want to do that. I like, God, fix, fix my boss. How many of you guys have ever prayed that? Raise your hand. Ever prayed to fix my boss? Okay. <laughs> God, fix my kids. God, fix my parents. Fix. Don't, no, stop raising your hands. We don't need to know. All of these things about you guys. Like, but there are prayers that are easy to pray. My, my neighbor who lives, my back door neighbor, when we first moved into our house a long time ago uh, in Stoughton, uh, had, a, had a, a, a plowing business. And so he pulls into my driveway and he, he plows my driveway. And I don't know him very well. We've talked a few times at this. We're good friends now. And I don't say good friends, but we're, we're pretty good friends now. And, and, uh, but he, he, he hadn't been to church since his son, who now is in his late 20s, he's married, was actually seven. He had a really bad experience and said, I'm, I'm never going to go back ever again. And uh, just doesn't matter the story. It, it's nobody's business, really. But we were saying he had a bad experience. But he knew that I was religious. He, he, he plowed the driveway. And I walked out there to say, thanks. Like, like, how do you, like somebody you hardly know plows your driveway. And you want to show gratitude, but you don't want to insult them, right? So like, I know he's not, he's doing this to be a good neighbor. And I don't want to say, oh, take my money. Because he, you know, he goes, I don't need your money. And like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, I just want to be good. Like, you just don't want to be a jerk, right? But so you just walk out there with nothing and just say, thanks. Now get off my property. Thank you. Like, I don't, like, I just, it's like, it's a weird thing to like have somebody bless you, right? Out of, the, out of the blue, and you just, I don't really know how to handle that kind of, like, whatever. So I, I walked out there, and I had a $20 bill, which I, I know it was worth more than $20, but I'm not trying to insult him by saying, here's 50 I'm trying to pay you off for doing this, because then he'd feel bad that I didn't ask him to do this, you know, and then agree to a price. Like, so it was that weird moment, so I just, I walked out, and I said, hey, listen, man, you just saved me four hours of, of time. Please just I know this isn't much, but let me just buy you guys pizza when you go back to the house with your kids, right? Like, let me just buy you guys pizza. And he said, no, 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 no. Just say a prayer for me, preacher. And I was like, dang it, I got tons of those, baby. I got prayers all day. Okay, that was probably inappropriate. So, I don't know. I'm just saying... Homeboy's loaded. Like if prayers was money, I'm rolling deep, right? Like I, like I, I give, sure. You want to redo my roof? I'll give you five prayers. One, two, three. Boom, roof done. <laughs> like those are easy prayers. God help me to sleep good tonight. Help us to have a good day tomorrow. Bless this food to our bodies. Right? There's, there's, there's easy prayers. Then there's tough ones. 
God, help me to forgive the person who hurt me when I was a kid. God, help me to forgive my ex. God, help me to find a way to forgive, to, right? God, change, like, there's, there's easy prayers and there's tough prayers. But if we started praying the tough prayers and God answered them, our lives would change. Am I right? They change in a completely different way than just the now I lay me down to sleep prayers change us. So we talked about the different kinds of prayers that we said we should be praying. One of those prayers we said was the prayer that David prayed in Psalm chapter 51 where he said, God, search me. That was the first prayer, search me. He said, search me and know my, my heart. I, I want you to show me what's in my heart because David had also said that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand how broken it is? Now see, my heart isn't a threat to you. Who is my heart a threat to? Me. So if my heart is deceitful, who is it most likely to deceive, you or me? Right. So my heart is a threat to me. So David's prayer, God search my heart, was God show me where I have deceived myself. Show me where I'm 100% convinced I'm right and I'm not. Who wants to pray that prayer? I want to pray God show my wife where she's wrong. I don't want to pray when we're not getting along. Show me where I'm being a jerk. Like seriously, after your last big fight with the significant others, was that your first prayer? God, show me where I'm the jerk. We don't, we don't naturally pray that. Show me where I'm 100% convinced something is true about another person and it's not. Some of us carry grudges against people and have assumed the worst in them for a long time. And truthfully, we're not even willing to consider that we've misjudged. Because in our mind, we have reinforced by evidence we've seen in their life that we're right. But what if we are wrong? See, that's a whole different kind of prayer. God, get them for what they've done. But what if the true prayer should be, God, show me where I'm wrong about why they did that? And what if God started answering that? Then, truthfully, I would begin to live, love, give, and serve the way Jesus lived, love, gave. My life would actually start changing. The second prayer that he said, show, show me my anxious thoughts, the things that I'm anxious about, the thing, comes from fears of things that I'm afraid of losing. Because the thing that I'm afraid of losing is probably the thing that I'm trusting in more than I trust in God. Because a lot of us, honestly, our anxiety comes from our money because truthfully, we have more confidence in our money than in we do in God's ability to provide if he had it. Right? Our confidence comes from our education, from my network, from my friends. Like, what are you afraid of losing? Because truthfully, what you're afraid most of losing is probably the thing that you feel you need more than you need to be obedient to God. What if we started praying that? God, show me what I love more than you and help me to give it to you. Show me what I'm afraid, what I trust in more than you so that I can hand that off to you also. Then the third thing that he prayed, search me, was to show me where I am uh, offending you. And for me, we said that my, my toughest, that like, I don't have a hard time knowing what I do that offends God. I'm, I'm pretty aware of my own brokenness. My problem, honestly, is not that I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It's that I know what I'm doing wrong, and often I don't care that I'm doing wrong. Now, I don't know if I'm the only pagan in the room. Does anybody else struggle with that? Okay, the other pagans in the room, right? So, like, so then we said that if that's where you're at, then your prayer should maybe be, God, help me to care 
that I don't care anymore, right? Show me the things that, like, show me the greed, the lust, the selfishness. Now, the only way you would pray this, honestly, is if you already had the presence of God's Spirit in you. You've already come to a place where you accept that Jesus is God who showed up in human history, lived innocent and free of breaking God's laws so that his immunity could be given to us for our breaking of God's laws. So his death pays off my debt, his resurrection with new life gives me a shot to live a new and different life. Not all of us have come to that place where we've placed our faith in Jesus alone to pay off our debt before God and have committed to follow him with the rest of our life. But for those of us who've come to that place where we've turned from our disobedience towards God, our selfishness towards others to begin following after the ways of Jesus, the Bible says that God adopts us into his family and gives us his spirit who affirms in our heart that we are his sons and daughters. And one of the roles of God's Holy Spirit is that he begins to change our want-tos. So at one point, my, I wanted to, and now I have a tendency toward, but I wish I didn't do those things. So that, that, that change, that, 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 that new feeling in my heart is what prompts me to pray the search me kind of prayers. So those are the ones that make us uncomfortable. Last week, we said that the prayer that we needed to pray was the break me prayer. God, break me. Because there are areas of my life that I will make available to God, but I bet most of us have that one piece of our heart, our life, that's kind of off limits, that maybe our spouse doesn't even know about, that like secret sin in our heart that we play with every once in a while when we're 100% sure we're not going to get caught, right? Or that, that those patterns of thinking or the bitterness or the hatred that's on the inside that really, we keep it, it's locked down pretty tight, like we're, we're like it's, it's in the basement, and we've got that basement door, like, dead-bolted, chained, locked. Like, like it's, it's all, like, that break-me prayer. Like, it's, it's that one thing that I keep from God that, truthfully, if God could heal me from or break me over, would accelerate my spiritual development the fastest. Matthew chapter 21 says that there are those who fall on Jesus and are broken. There are those who Jesus falls on and are crushed. So we looked at two different people in the scriptures. One was willingly broken before God, and the other person was broken by God, was crushed by God. Now, truthfully, both of them were put back together in the way that God intended them to be all along, which brought him most glory and them most good. It's just that one had a more painful way of getting there. So we said it's far better for those of us who are followers of Jesus to pray, God, break me in this area of my secret sin. Break me. Don't crush me. Because if you are a devoted follower of Jesus, it is predetermined that you will be conformed into the image of Jesus. You will. God's Holy Spirit guarantees that he will not let up if you're his kid until you actually start to live, love, give, and serve the way Jesus did. Now, this can either be an easy process or it can be a painful process. The difference is whether or not you're willing to pray, God, break me. Today's prayer is probably going to be the prayer that changes the future direction of your life more than any other thing that you'll ever pray. And for some of us who are ready for a new direction, we're excited about this. Like, this sounds awesome. Like, if, I, if there's a type of prayer that I can begin praying that would alter the direction of the rest of my entire life and set me up to become the person God always intended me to be, bro, I am all over that because this way ain't working. 
And there are others of us in here who are saying, like, ah, I kind of got my thing going right now. I've got my plan, and I'm working my plan. Like, that's, like I got an agenda, and, like, God's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with him having, like, a, an hour and ten minutes on, on the weekends, but I don't really want him messing with. So this other prayer, this, for some of you guys, you're going to be really excited about this, and others of you guys, you're really nervous. And truthfully, it's going to come down to whether or not you trust that God's plan for your life is better than the one you can come up on your own. And some of you, you don't trust that God can do that because you don't, you don't think he knows what he's doing. You think you know, you know better. Now, most of us, especially if we're a devoted follower of Jesus, would, would say that we know that God knows best. But what if that means everything about the way you're going right now needed to change? And what if you had to like, like pivot and go a whole other direction? Now, see, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what scares us, and that's why this is a tough prayer. There's also different types of people here. There are those who are, like, excited about life. And, like, I've got two kids in college. And, you know, when I, when I talk with them, they're like, I'm going to change the whole world. They, they see brokenness and injustice everywhere. And, and like, like, I'm going to change. Like, 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 you got dreams, man. Like, 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 ah, like I'm so excited to, like, just, just burst out of the gates. Like, my life's going to be awesome. Right? How many of you guys are, like, really excited about life right now? Raise your hand. Like, Yeah. Everybody 25 and under. <laughs> For the rest of us, we're like, oh, that was, uh, that's sweet. I remember. <laughs> I remember. And we don't want to squash anybody's dreams, right? But at the same time, we, we know what happened to us that got us to bail on those, right? And then there's some of us who honestly... You're like, you are okay with a reset, like seriously, like, like, right, like, if God just showed me what reset, if he showed me where the reset button was, homeboy would hit that so stinking hard, like, I'm, I'm just waiting on a dream around which to build my entire life all over again, right? Like, that's, we're, we're in different places when it, when it, when it comes, when it comes to that. There's, there's a, and for those of you guys, by the way, if, if you're looking for a dream, you're going to love this prayer. If, if you right now, you're like, like, I'm so excited about the rest of my entire life, you're going to love this prayer. If you're like, I'm, I'm just trying to make it to tomorrow, you need this prayer. There's a guy named Deal Moody. I read his biography uh, when I was in my mid-20s. And um, Deal Moody is a famous evangelist. And when I say famous evangelist, don't think the guy on TV crying for stealing everybody's money. When I say evangelist, I want you to think of Billy Graham. Everybody loves Billy Graham. Like, 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 like Catholics, Protestants, Jewish people, atheists. Like everybody thinks Billy Graham's a good dude, right? Yes or no? Yeah, homeboy's stud, right? So like, that's what I want you to think of. Like, like that one guy in our generation has probably had the greatest influence internationally for the cause of God's kingdom purposes in the world. That's, that's amazing, Right? There was a guy who lived during the time of the Civil War, before the Civil War, during it, and then after, uh, and his name was Dale Moody. He's from Northfield, Massachusetts, and uh, lived on a farm. And as he, he wanted to get out of the country, get into the city as quick as possible. So his mom and dad didn't let him move to the farm, or excuse me, move into the city until he was 17. So when, when that dude hit 17, he moved to live with his brother here in Boston. And he got a job at a, at a shoe, shoe store uh, on, on uh, I believe it's State Street, uh, you guys know where the homeless veteran shelter is in between the old state house and uh, 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 government center on the green line? You guys know where that is? Okay, there used to be a Staples there. Then there's that coffee cup that's got the smoke coming out of it. 
Okay, start walking to the state house. By the way, at the other end of the state house to the right is a peanut seller. His name is Dino. Dino's got the best, best boiled, the best. Anybody ever had Dino's peanuts? Raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, I'm about to change y'all's life right here. What you need is G- Geno's. Excuse me, what Geno's? What you need is Jesus and Dino's. Candied almonds, that's what you need right there. That'll change your life. But, but halfway between there, uh, in the, uh, right next to the old Staples building, right to the left of, I'm doing it backwards, to the left of, of the, the homeless shelter, there's a plaque on the wall that says, on this spot, the famous Christian evangelist, D.L. Moody, was converted to Christ and became the founder of, and it talks about all the different things that God used him to do. He's, one of the things that he helped start was the YMCA, uh, Moody College. Like he... he he raised the spiritual temperature of the entire civilized world in his generation. That's amazing. Like he traveled all throughout Europe, Africa, Asia, Americas. Like, like, oh my word. At the end of his life, somebody came to talk to him about how much he had done in his lifetime. And at the end of his lifetime, he said... The world has still, the world is still yet to see what God can do with one person who fully sells out to him. What? The world has, so he's recognizing that even though God had done all of this through him, he still had not fully yielded his life. He said, still, the world has not, still hasn't seen what God could honestly do if one person would just come to the place where they would say, God, there is nothing you could ask that I wouldn't give, do, or go. I am one. Can you imagine? What if you were that person, though? What if you were that person? So right after I read the life story of D.L. Moody, I, I talked about this. I was a youth pastor, and I talked about this to our youth group. And a kid named Jaken walked up to me after. That's not his real name, but Jaken, I don't know if he'll... We still keep in touch with his family, so just in case. So Jacob walks up to me after the service, and he goes, John, I want to be that guy. Like, he was broken. Like, he'd come to that place where he was praying the prayer that we talked about last week. Got him all in. Got, like, like, that's it. Like, I want to be that guy. He, he said, what do I do next? And so I just said, awesome, dude. I'm so glad. I said, but understand this, that if you're that guy, it doesn't mean God changes anything about your past. So if you're the person that God squeezes the most awesomeness out of, let's say, that, let's think about it as another, because he, he couldn't think about it, like he was just getting stuck. I said, let's say it's another person, but that other person has the same background as you. And the reason why that was so important is because he had a really broken background. His dad was an alcoholic. He used to beat the living tar of him, pick him up from school. His mom was like, she had, ended up uh, drinking herself to death. But, um, so the dad would pick him up from school, take him to the bar, and he would drink until closing, then he'd come out and he'd take the kids home, they'd sleep up, then he'd take them to school again, pick them up from school and take them right back to the bar. And if he came into the bath, came into the bar to, to, to go to the bathroom, his dad would beat him. And if he walked outside and saw him outside of the car peeing on the tires, he got beat that way too. So I was like, it's just a horrible childhood, right? The dad ends up com- committing to faith in Jesus and his whole life changes. And that changed the future trajectory of all the kids in his household. But that didn't mean that the brokenness of their childhood automatically vanished. So Jason was still struggling with some like anger issues and like, like you can imagine, truthfully, like, like some of you, honestly. So I said, so let's say it's this other person, but they've got the same background as you, right? Like, but you're that person, Jaken. Like, like what, do you have, like, what do you want to do when you graduate this summer? And he said, I want to be a plumber. 
He's like, okay, I thought we were going to start somewhere else. Like if I'm, if I'm thinking, like we just talked about D.L. Moody, like the greatest preacher of all time since the Apostle Paul. And truthfully, D.L. Moody led a guy to the Lord who led another guy to the Lord who led one more person to the Lord who led Billy Graham to the faith in Jesus. So if there's no D.L. Moody, there's no, D, there's no Billy Graham. Like I'm just saying, like that guy, he's changing the world generations later. But I didn't think he'd be a plumber is what I'm saying. So I said, okay, but let's say it is a plumber. What, like, how do you become that guy, Jason? And so, like, Jason goes, okay, so I graduate. And, and so we spent, like, a whole afternoon unpacking, like, what happens during his 20s? What happens during his 30s? Like, so it's not Jason he's thinking about. He's thinking about this other guy, but who's starting off from the same place that he's starting. So it was easier to think about it as a third person. So this is what happens in his 20s. This is what happens in his 30s, in his 40s, in his 50s. And the story that we, the dream that we ended up building was that what he would do is as soon as he graduated, he'd become an apprentice. And he'd become a journeyman, then become a master plumber. He'd do that for a few years until he made enough context to start his own business. And the idea was that by his mid or late 20s, he would start his own plumbing business. And he would start, to, he would can you give people fair prices and, and, and do the work that he that they was getting paid for and that God would bless him. But in the meantime, he was going to be faithfully serving Jesus and growing in our local church. And so he was going to be helping us. While he was doing plumbing stuff, he was going to be helping us help more people find and follow Jesus. Because if you're not faithful with what you've got right now, you're never going to be faithful with any more later on. So he, and he knew this. So the life that we ended up building is that in his, in his early 30s, he would then begin developing different crews with different plumbers that were running those, those crews. That the, the, the apprentices and journeymen he had under them, he'd work to make sure that they got their master license so that they could then begin going doing their own bidding and kind of stuff. And then in his mid to late 30s, he would pick one of those guys to run the business in his absence, which would then provide him residual income because where in the world would they need most help with plumbing and and, and, and you know, good plumbing stuff, like clean water and everything. He said, India. So he moves to India in his mid to late 30s. And there's a Bible college that our church uh, in, that we were at at that time supported where it, it had about 200 Indian men and women who were being trained to go into the remote villages and, and to help people find and follow, follow the ways of Jesus. And so what he was going to do is he was going to like piggyback with one of those guys and go into that village and, and as a way of earning credibility in that community and showing that we're there for their good, whether they become followers of Jesus or not, he was going to help them find clean water and help them develop irrigation and, and like all this kind of stuff in the city and he was going to go back to the Bible college and grab another guy and do that and then that he was going to develop a, a work program where guys would get paid vacation time to to come over from the states and help him do this and like piggyback with other guys and then in his 40s he was going to get other nonprofit organizations to help fund this organization and then in his 50s neighboring economically broken countries were going to be reaching out to him to begin doing this also and then in his 60s he moves into his legacy legacy stage where he then begins handing off all of these things to other people who can take them farther than what he was ever able to do on his own while he begins to write books about this and he's speaking and he's invited to the UN and then people begin to see all around the world that those who follow Jesus are most interested in the glory of God and their good and he brings revival and everybody in the entire planet becomes a follower of Jesus and he dies to the applause of heaven. And he didn't do any of that. Like, what if he had aimed for that and fallen short? That still would have been amazing. But he didn't even get out of the gates because of stupid Sally May and her moron brother, Freddie Mac. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, that's a student, student loans. <laughs> because debt happened. And then he got a job, and then he got money, and then he liked what he had when he got money, and then he wanted more money. And how much money is ever enough for us? 
more. Like if you went back 10 years ago, if, if you're, you know, in your 30s or higher, and told yourself 10 years ago how much you're making now, you'd go, I'm bowling. But now that you're making that much money, it's not enough. And then he got married, which wasn't a distraction to the dream. Then he had kids, which wouldn't have been a distraction to the dream, but then his life began to revolve around the success of his wife and kids. And God got moved from the front seat, the steering wheel side, to the passenger seat, then to the back seat, and then to the trunk. You know what I mean? Because life. The Apostle Paul knew this would happen to us. That's why he gives us the warning that he gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is what Paul tells us. He says, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. And isn't that true? How many of you guys would agree that life is short? Raise your hand. Life is short. Okay. Now, now, the younger you are, the less likely you are to believe that. Do you remember when you were a little kid and like summer was three years long? Who remembers that? It was like, it's summer forever! Remember that? It was amazing. Summer would go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And then school started. And Christmas is never going to get here. Oh, I hate school. And Christmas never comes. And then when Christmas comes, you got those two breaks off, two weeks off. And it's like, you know, but you don't really enjoy it because you know it's only two weeks. And you go right back to school again. And then summer's never coming. Summer never gets here. Like seriously, I will die before summer gets here. And then summer gets there and it's forever. I'm never going back to school again. Anybody remember those days? And you know what I think is one of the worst things about life is that the older you get, the faster time moves. Would anybody else agree with that one? Ah, stink it. Like, look, I'm, I'll, seriously, in my head, I'm looking at you and I'm picturing the way you're looking at me. And in my head, I still look young and sexy. <laughs> now see, the fact that you're laughing means you're a jerk. And every morning, I'm surprised when I look in the mirror again. Because on the inside, I still feel young and sexy. Can I get an amen from all the old people in the room? All the old young and sexy, please say amen. Amen. All right, you feel me. I go look in that mirror. I'm like, holy crap, who's that old dude? Because on the inside, I don't feel the way you see me front row on the outside. So you guys all see me as old, but like I still feel like I got it, right? And then I like I, and then, then I have a hip replacement. <laughs> I got reading glasses, and this just makes me look like a grandpa. I freak, I hate this. I like, that's how I, like. It just happened so fast. I got, I got two kids in college, and I got a kid in, in, in high school. All like, how did this happen? Like, it's just too fast. I'm going to be in grandpa in the next five years. Lord willing, if they get married first, Lord willing. <laughs> By the grace of God, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> like, I, like, it's just too fast. Like, I'm almost 50. Are you kidding me? What the heck? Like, and you're like, oh, I thought you were... Much older than that. <laughs> Have you seen your beard? <laughs> it's, just, it's just fast. So he says, listen, if those of you guys who know that time is short and that you're going to give an account for your life before God, because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you recognize that I ain't got much time and what I have left, I will give an account to God for it. Paul says, now you're at the place where you can start making wise moves. When you recognize you ain't going to live forever, 
and you're accountable to God for the way that you live until you meet forever, that's where wisdom starts. So considering time is short, for those of us who are wise, considering the time is short. The time that remains is very short, so from now on. I love that. I love that he, I love that he put that in there. From now on. I love that. You know why? Because I can't change everything before today. And he knows from now on. Because I can do it right from now on. Some of us are like, man, but I, I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't. But what if I, what if that didn't, what if, what if he said, what if she didn't, what if? And truthfully, so many of us are stuck in what if that we're never going to get to from now on. And that's what's going to keep us from becoming the person God always intended us to be. Because we're stuck in what if and we won't move to now on. So Paul says, listen, okay, you got a record? Okay. From now on. You've been divorced. You got debt. You're in bankruptcy. You're already retired and you realize you wasted. Okay. But what happens next? Let's, let's focus on that. Okay. A lot of crap happened. But now what? Because that ain't it. If you're still sucking air, chapters are still being written in your life. And if God has access to the pen, writing the story of your life, then that book ends with His glory and your good. So from now on, what happens next? He says, from now on, here's what I want you to do. Those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. He's not saying marriage ain't important. He's saying God didn't create you just for marriage. You were created for the glory of God and the good of others. He's not de-emphasizing marriage at all because it is also Paul who writes and says that the way that a man loves his wife is supposed to be a picture of the way Jesus loves his bride, the church. And the way that a woman loves her husband is to be a picture of the way the church loves her groom, Jesus. There's other passages of Scripture that say that if you're at odds with your spouse, then you can't be in right relationship with God. So he's not saying that marriage isn't important. What he's saying is your life consists of more than just your family. You have a responsibility to and for your family. But it isn't to, my life isn't to live around my wife, and my family. My job as a dad isn't really that much different than my job as a devoted follower of Jesus, except now I've got people I've got, I'm responsible to help find and follow after his ways too. That's it. It's always been about the glory of God and the good of others. It's always been about that. So he says, those of you who have wives, focus on more than just your marriage. Those who weep or who, and by the way, and those who have kids, let your life be about more than your kids. And truthfully, we don't worship idols anymore that have goat bodies and human heads. But we worship scholarships for our kids. We worship that. We'll make God get in the back seat so that AAU can get in the front. Oh, do I need to stay there for a minute? We are real quiet. We make God get in the back seat. We put early retirement in the front. You see what I'm saying? Like we, Real quick, we make our lives about a whole lot of other things. 
Life happens. And God gets moved out. Or to the trunk. And he gets an hour and 15 minutes on the weekend. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things, don't be consumed, don't be absorbed by why you were crying and what it is that's happened that's great and that you've got, which is awesome, and, and then your possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. Life is about more than the stuff we get and the things we do. Someday, every one of us will stand before God, and all of us will probably wish that we could come back to this day and live the rest of our days differently. Do you think that once you stand before God, you will wish that you lived with different priorities from this day on, yes or no? That's the beginning of wisdom. So recognize that your life is more... Your kids can drop out of college and still be godly. Yes or no? What I want more for my kids than anything is not a high-paying job. I don't pray for that on a daily basis. I pray, dear God, let each one of my kids learn to hear your voice in their heart and follow Jesus with the rest of their lives. That's good parenting. I'm not a good parent because my kid makes a ton of money for his kids to fight over when he dies. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with an education. I have one. But these things are tools to be leveraged for the glory of God, not the objects for which the rest of my life should be leveraged in pursuit of. Are you with me? These are cheap substitutes for the purpose of your life. They're just tools to be leveraged for what really is the purpose of your life. John the Apostle re says something that Paul just said in a different way in the book of 1 John. So if you've got your Bible, go to 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says this, Do not love this world nor the things that the world offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. When you love stuff, you cannot love God. You cannot pursue wholeheartedly early retirement and the glory of God at the, first, at the, at the same time. That does not mean that you can't retire early. It just means that the goal of your life can't be them both. If it happens along the way in pursuit of the glory of God, fantastic, because now God has just given you an extra 15 years to live for his glory. And if God does give you early retirement, I guarantee you it is not to get more seashells at the beach in, in Central America. If God gives you early retirement, it is to spend more years while you have better health in pursuit of his glory and others' good. If you retire early, then move your butt to a third world country, not so that your dollar can go farther, but so that you can help more people who are more broken find Jesus. That's why. If you're retired, what about going and moving to where one of our missionaries are? They need a right-hand man and woman to help them help these people in this village. And you know things they don't. Or... You can binge watch Netflix for the next 15 years and die. What if we spent our entire lives making a living but never making a difference? That would be a wasted life. Yes or no? Yeah. For the world offers only, verse 16, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from God. They're from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that you've been chasing. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. 
In John chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus tells us what honor, verse 29, he tells us what honors God. It's the work of God. Jesus said, for there is no other work of God but that you find and follow Jesus and help others do the same. That is the work of God. That is what brings God most glory is when you leverage your life so that others find God through faith in Jesus and learn to follow him, which means, first of all, that you've done that. But we too easily say, well, that's your job, preacher, and that's for super Christians. And some of us have already excluded ourselves because we have too much in our past, not recognizing that we're still, we can move on from that. There is a different way to live, and Jesus modeled this and showed us in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is talking to 70, 72 of his different disciples in Luke chapter 10. And he says to them in verse 2, these were his instructions to his followers. Listen, there's, now how many disciples did he have? He had 12. Those are the famous disciples. But in this passage of Scripture, we find out that there were over 70 of actual people he was pouring into. 70, 70 different disciples. Now, 12 of them he chose for a different role. But to all 70 of them at the time, he's got a crowd of people. And, he's, and, and, and they all showed up with probably a different agenda that day than I know than what Jesus' agenda was for that day. Because I've read this, cha I've read this chapter before. So Jesus called, he's got these 70 guys and they're in, I don't know, are they in a room? Are they outside somewhere? It doesn't matter. He's, he's at a place where he can speak and 70, 72 people can hear him talk. And, and, and here's what he says to them. He says, he says uh, these, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. He said, look around. How many guys would recognize that all around us is brokenness? Raise your hand if you recognize that. How many guys recognize that people on the inside are hurting? Raise your hand if you recognize that. So Jesus says, look around at the harvest. They're ripe. People are ripe. They are ready. They are looking for something. And you know what they're looking for. He says, pray that God would send somebody to help them find and follow me. Easy prayer. Yes, Jesus, I will gladly pray that God sends somebody else. <laughs> Just, just notice the brokenness. Or just notice. Notice something besides yourself. Notice how everybody around you. Listen, some of you guys are dying for a friend, but you're not willing to be a friend to somebody else who's dying for a friend. You see what I'm saying? Our default setting is to do what brings me least pain and most comfort. It isn't the glory of God and the good of others. So I don't pray the tough ones. I pray, God, give me a friend. God, give me a spouse. God, give me a job. God, get me out of jet. God, wave your magic wand and give me everything I want. I don't pray the prayers like, God, make me the man you want me to be. And if suffering brings you most glory, bring it. Because if on the other side of that, I come out way better than what I would have ever come out without it, I'm game. See, the thing is, do you trust God with your life? Yes or no? Because that's that really what this, that's what this comes down to. Do you trust? So he says, notice, just look around and pray that God would send somebody to fix it. Now, out of 70 guys, 72 guys in the room that Jesus is talking to, no doubt some of them were like, dear Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in their life as it is in heaven, and their life as it is in heaven. Like people, no doubt, started praying. Uh, Jesus, I'll write that down. I'll put that in my phone as a reminder. I'll pray for that before I go to bed tonight. Look at the very next verse. The very next verse says, 
Oh, look at this. Verse 3. Now go. <laughs> Wait a minute. What do you mean? I want you to notice the brokenness around you and pray for that. Yeah, I, I just did. All right. Now go. Go do what? And remember that I am sending you as wolves, excuse me, as sheep among wolves. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, slow, slow down. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm praying for other people. I, I, I know. And Jesus goes, I already started answering that prayer because I was the one who put it on your heart. How many of us are praying for the injustices in the world, yes or no? How many of us are noting, noticing that our friends and family, our neighbors are spiritually disconnected from God? And a lot of us, we've been praying a long time. God, send somebody, send somebody, send somebody. Guess what? He answered that prayer. And guess who he sent? <laughs> like, dang, I'm going to stop praying that. God, meet my sister-in-law's financial needs. He did. When he gave you your job. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm going to stop praying for my sister. Yeah, I bet. I bet. See, pray all you want. You should. Jesus said, notice it all around you. And then get off your butt and go. But wait a minute, I, I wasn't ready for this. I got work tomorrow. Like, I, didn't, I don't have my roller bag, my overnight case, <laughs> my makeup. And I don't know if they got an outlet that fits my dryer, so my hair, I don't know. So then the next thing Jesus says is, that was a weird way to put on my glasses, and I think I broke them. <laughs> the next thing he, Jesus says is, remember that I'm sitting here as wolf, lambs among wolves, don't take any money, because I, I left my wallet. Don't take no money. Uh, I, forgot my, I forgot my roller bag. Don't take your traveler's bag. But my extra pair of sneakers, like I, I, I'm wearing my flip-flops. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anybody on the road. And in that moment, they had to decide whose agenda had greater priority in their life. God's or theirs. Because if you're going to follow God's agenda, it might mean you pivot. So do you really want to follow Jesus Yes or no? <laughs> Some of us are like, yeah, wait, wait, wait a minute. What does that mean? What are you saying? I don't exactly know because I ain't him. But if you've got God's Holy Spirit in your heart, I know that you specifically were designed to play some part in God's redemptive plan to rescue mankind from their spiritual disconnection from him and our meanness towards each other, which only happens when we repent, when we let go of our disobedience towards God and selfishness towards others to follow after Jesus. So what does that look like for you? I don't know, but I'm going to give you the prayer you need to pray. You ready for this prayer? Isaiah chapter 6. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets in all of Jewish history. And before he ever became that, he had a vision from God. I've never had a vision from God. Never heard the audible voice of God. Never, never have heard that. But I have prayed what Isaiah prayed. And in his vision, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, he talks about being able to see into heaven. And so he's not in the vision that he sings. He's not like, and then I'm walking around, and then God said to me, and I high-fived him, and then I talked to an angel. And like, it wasn't like that. Like he's seeing God having a conversation. And, 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 he gets in, and, and he's watching it from outside this vision. And then in verse 8, it says, Then... 
I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? God says, I've got a message for my people who will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. But I need somebody to go. And he's outside of what he's seeing. But he interjects himself in the vision. <laughs> he kind of jumps into it when he says, then, then I heard God say, who will I send as a messenger to my people? Who, who will go for us? And I said, pick me. Pick, pick me. I'll do it. See, some of us are waiting on some type of divine calling or something, some mystical experience, and you're wasting time you don't have waiting for something to happen. When what you really should be praying is not God divinely inspired, God, pick me. Pick me. Volunteer. He's not the only one. King David. You know King David? David and Goliath? Remember that guy? The greatest king in all of Israelite history? Way back in the beginning, he's a shepherd, which was a stinky job even for Jewish people. And his older brothers were at the Valley of Elah fighting against Philistia. This is an actual battle that happened really in history. And so one of the Philistines' warriors came up with a brilliant, it really is a brilliant idea. Rather than us going into battle and hundreds, thousands of us dying with only one team winning, why don't we pick our best warrior, you pick your best warrior, they'll fight each other to the death, and then still one team will win, and we'll accept that as the outcome so that the rest of us can go back to our families and live the rest of our lives. It's just that nation will serve the nation of the one that won. It's a brilliant, it really is a brilliant idea. Like a battle royale, WWE. Like just like bring your best cage match, right? Like, like, like chairs and change, chains, no knives and razor blades, right? Like, like, like there's rules. And nobody, like they, they, it's a brilliant idea, but nobody has the courage to go be the one to represent the Jewish people because whoever that person is, is obviously going to die. So somebody's volunteering to die so that everybody else can live. And I, like I said, if we go into battle, I got like a chance of living. But if I go fight that guy, I got like near, zero chance. So then he starts upping the ante emotionally, the, 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 the warrior from the Philistine side, and he starts dropping swear bombs all over the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And David shows up with gifts of cheese for the brother's captain. And they get aggravated that he's there because they think he's just there to watch the battle from the sidelines because he's a jerk is what they think. And he says, why don't somebody go fight him? They go, you a moron? Look, look at him. He's, like, he's as big as the rock. Easy. He's like, Dwayne Johnson, look at that. And you're like a middle school punk. Shut your mouth. Like, you've always got a big mouth. You're just here to be a jerk. Get on your scooter and go home. Scooter boy, cheese boy, get out of here. <laughs> he says, somebody should go fight the guy. Yeah, yeah, but, but who? Who would you do? He says, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. Them older brothers are like, I'd like to, you to have your butt handed to you by that dude right there. That'd be great. So part of me thinks that they let David go fight the giant because they were willing to sacrifice a middle school punk that nobody's really going to miss in the army anyway, right? But the, David volunteered because David had, because of his past experience, a lion had attacked his sheep and he fought it off and lived and a bear had attacked his sheep and he fought it off and lived. And it was actually because of his experience that he knew that God would, could, could help him survive, truthfully. It's because of your background that God will use you in a more unique way than he would ever use me. My mom was sexually abused as a child for years. God had nothing to do with that. But what Satan brought into her life to ruin her 
She eventually stopped using that as an excuse to run from God and used that as the reason to run to him. And when he healed her from that, she stood on top of that. And that has been the greatest platform for her to bring most women who've gone through the same thing to a place of healing and faith in Jesus herself. So the very thing that you think disqualifies you might be the very platform on which God brings most glory through you. Are you with me? But the reason why God used David and not his older brother Eliab, one reason. David volunteered. That's it. You need to pray. God, pick me. There's nothing you will ask me to give that I won't give. There's nothing you ask me to do I won't do. There's no place you ask me to go I won't go. What if you were the one person through whom God squeezed the most glory and the most good through? But it's you, it's not me, it's you. But they had the whole same life as you do all the way up to today. But from today on, from now on, their life diverged from yours. And they became something you never did because you didn't have the courage. What happens to them that doesn't happen to you? And why can't it? One reason, you won't pray, God, pick me. For my wife, who had just had Ryan and wasn't working, you know what it looked like for her? She joined the PTO with the Daw School. You know what it looked like for me, who was teaching at a college in the city? I wasn't a pastor of a church. It meant that I became a coach in Stoyak. I'd been a youth pastor, so I put my youth pastor skills to work as a coach in Stoyak, Stoke Youth Athletic Club. And I, I called the Celtics office and said, how do I get my son to get a high five from Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and, and uh, Kevin Garnett? They said, sell 100 tickets, and you can do a player tunnel. I'll put it on my credit card. And I called the other coaches in our program, sent an email to all of them. I said, if you sell five tickets to this game on this particular night, your son gets a high five from Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett. We sold those tickets in less than a week. The board of directors for Storyx said, that, let's get that. That's awesome. That's a great idea. Let's get that. I got to be bored of a story. Just, just like, what, do I, what, can I, what can I do right now? See, truthfully, if you can't be faithful with the money you have right now, God ain't going to give you more money to mismanage. God ain't that dumb. If you can't be faithful with the relationships you have, why would he give you more faith, more relationships to screw up? If you, if you can't leverage your opportunities now, why would he give you more to not do good with. All of this starts with you getting to a place where from now on, today, with what I got right now, God, all I have. I'm not asking you to give me more that I'll be faithful with. I will be faithful with what I got right now. It is all yours. What can you do right now? Go to Braintree. Help us start Grace Church Braintree. Go to Bridgewater. Start Grace Church Bridgewater. Give of your resources so that we can do more for more people. Go on a mission trip. Spend a summer vacation helping Chris Ballinger in Mongolia. Take your retirement years and instead of wintering in Florida, sipping martinis and mimosas, which they have in other countries, by the way, bless Jesus. <laughs> Spend a summer helping Lucas in Belfast start a church in Northern Ireland. Go, go to Sierra Leone and help Anthony Carbo start his church in BAP. G-B-A-P. I don't know how to say that. But winter there. Like, do something. Billy Jane joins PTO, and she takes over the, the holiday fair. That is as close as you can get to hell on this side of death as you can possibly get. 
Can I get an amen from any mamas and PTO? You do not want the holiday fair. You know why Billy Jane did the holiday fair? Nobody else wanted to do it. Somebody needs to do it. Dear God, send somebody to do a holiday fair. Crap, it's me. And four of her PTO mamas are devoted followers of Jesus here at Grace Church every single weekend because a pregnant wife who wasn't working prayed, God picked me. What have you prayed? God picked me. And you did whatever crazy thing you put in your heart. Don't tell me your life wouldn't change for the better. Or live the rest of your life chasing what everybody else chases and gets what everybody else gets and settle for average. I don't think you were made for that. So you're 50. All you've ever done is made money. You've never made a difference. But let's say at 50 is when you finally said, God picked me. And you were going to live for 30 more years and you were the person through whom God squeezed the most glory and the most good. What does that person do in his 50s? What do they do in their 60s different from what you'll do? What does that look like? What if you stayed an engineer? What if you stayed a teacher, but you still became the person through whom God did the most good? What happens next? I don't know. That's cool though, right? We get to dream again. We get to become the people God intended us to be. Let's pray. God, I love you. That you lo I love that you love me even when I don't love you back. I love that you love me before I knew you were. I love, Jesus, that you've forgiven me for every stupid thing I've ever done. And I love you that no matter how many times I do the same stupid things over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, you never stop forgiving me when I repent over and over and over and over and over and over again. I'm glad that you don't give up. I'm glad that you chase me down. I'm glad that your Holy Spirit won't let me be okay not being okay with you. I'm thankful that when I prayed, help me to care again, you made me care again. I'm thankful that you give me faith to believe. I'm thankful that you don't let me go. I'm thankful that you ain't done with me. I'm thankful. God, it's my gratitude toward you that motivates me to offer all of myself to you. Is that your prayer? If it is, tell them. God, I know. I know you love me. And I have not loved you well in return. And God, I'm broken. Search my heart. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me what I'm afraid of. God, show me anything in my life that doesn't please you. God, break me. Help me to give you even the secret things I hide in the closet. I've buried in the backyard. God, break me because I don't want to be crushed. Break me. And God, pick me. I am all in. Just put it in my heart. Like I am volunteering. And the first thing you need to do is be faithful with what you've got. What relationships are you not honoring God in? What resources have you not yielded? What patterns of, 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 of decision making are outside of God's plans? Like what can you do right from now on? What can you do right now to bring your life more in line with the will of God for your life? Ask him, God, show me.
What relationship is wrong? What resource is unavailable? What part of my heart does not belong to you? I'm all in. And then dream big. What does God do with your 60s? If you're the person through whom God, you're 70 years old, let's say you make it to 85, and you're the person that God squeezes the most out of in 15 years, what happens? What does that look like? Where does it start? What's your next move? Ask God, tell me, put in my heart, what's my next move? God, you tell me, I'll do it. God, be pleased by the attitude and direction of our heart. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.